Z. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at CloroxHealthcare.com. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. We would like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Please visit the Clorox Healthcare website to learn more about their products, keeping environments safer. CloroxHealthcare.com forward slash C. Radio. It's a great pleasure today to welcome our guest, Nancy Foster, the Vice President for Quality and Patient Safety Policy at the American Hospital Association, along with Edmund Hooker, MD, Doctor in Public Health. Dr. Hooker works clinically in the emergency department at the University of Cincinnati Hospital. He serves as residency research director, directs the clinical research coordinators program, and teaches in the Department of Health Services Administration at Xavier University. Both of our guests join us today to discuss the CMS 2019 Inpatient Prospective Payment System, the IPPS, proposed ruling. At this time, I would like to welcome our first guest to the program, Nancy Foster. Thank you for joining us today, Nancy. Thanks so much for having me, Nancy. I'm, I'm so glad to be here. We're so glad that you were able to take time out of your busy schedule and join us today and help us learn more about this important uh, ruling that's being discussed by CMS. So, Nancy, can we start out by having you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your interest in quality measurement? Absolutely, Nancy. I've been here at the American Hospital Association for the past 16 years. I'm one of a team of folks that works to help hospitals and health systems deliver higher quality care. And my particular role is to help hospitals understand and deal with the government regulations that surround their ability to deliver high quality care. I was previously at the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, where I ran the nation's largest research program on patient safety, and I led and coordinated the federal response to the Institute of Medicine's report called Two Errors Human, which really launched the patient safety movement in America. So uh, I'm really delighted to be talking with you about this important patient safety issue. Yeah, absolutely, and thank you so much, Nancy, for sharing your background. And that's a really, a really difficult position to be in, I'm sure. And we just want to ask you if you wouldn't mind, uh, just tell us a bit about the American Hospital Association and why the association is interested in quality measures. Certainly, AHA is pleased to represent the nation's hospitals. We have over 5,000 member hospitals of all sizes and all different types of ownership of hospitals. They uh, are in all kinds of communities from the tiniest rural community to big city or uh, big cities and medium-sized communities. Uh, we are very pleased to have this broad representation because it is in their interest that we have really worked on quality measurement. Hospitals see quality measurement as one of the foundations that helps them to deliver better quality care. If they don't know 
how well they're doing on important aspects of care um, and whether or not the the innovations they're trying in their delivery system are improving the quality, then they, they don't know whether to keep those innovations. So they are constantly working on quality and they really hope to have important, accurate, and available quality data that will help them further their quality improvement activities. Okay. And Nancy, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, we better known as the CMS, recently published a rule involving important measures of the safety of care. Can you give us some context and help us to understand what this rule really is all about? Absolutely. Every year, CMS has to update its payment rules for hospitals. As I'm sure all of your listeners know, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services um, is, in an essence, the insurer on behalf of the elderly, and work and it works in partnership with the states to insure those who are too poor to have their uh, own insurance, and so they have Medicaid. So every year they issue these rules, which describe how they will pay for for patient care under these programs. The the rules uh, they issue are not just about hospital payment. They will issue rules for physicians and dialysis facilities and all the other kinds of providers that they um, pay on behalf of of their, um, their patients. CMS payment rules for hospitals are complex, but for the last eight years, they have involved the use of quality measures in different ways to really create incentives for better quality of care. There are four different hospital incentive programs. One is called the Inpatient Quality Reporting Program, and that's just about reporting data. One is the Value-Based Purchasing Program, which uh, contains a lot of measures and is used to both reward hospitals for actual stellar performance and for significant improvement in their performance on any of these measures. Um, There's one that has to do with readmissions, and it's called the Readmissions Reduction Program. And then there's the one that will be the focus of some of our conversation today, which is called the Hospital Acquired Conditions Program or HACK program as it's known in the field. And that is the one that focuses on safety measures, um, including measures of infection. Okay, Nancy, thank you so Go ahead, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Nancy, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, thank you. So uh, the proposal that CMS is putting forward in this, this year's, well, actually, it is the proposal that they put forward this year that would affect the payments that begin in October and last for the fiscal year of 2019. And that this proposal is really about streamlining, reducing confusion, and yet leaving all of the important measures in the public domain. It, making them available to the public um, so that they can continue to see um, important information about hospital quality. Okay. And that, that makes a lot of sense. And thanks, Nancy, for sharing the information about the, the four incentive programs. Um, as we all know, an article uh, in USA Today 
said that CMS is proposing to remove measures of hospital-acquired conditions, like hospital-acquired infections. Is this what the government agency is really proposing to do? No, no, absolutely not. Um, They will continue to publish information on these important infection measures. How do I know that? Well, first of all, to do so, to, to remove them, would be inconsistent with CMS's goals, which are to spur improvement and to improve transparency about important aspects of quality to the public. Um, more importantly, um, in terms of how I know that's not what they're going to do, is the proposed rule that they issued said explicitly that they will continue to publish this information. It's it, any of your readers want to go back and look, it's on page 20,474 of the Federal Register of May 7th, which is where this proposed rule came out. And then finally, if, if you thought that CMS might change the proposed rule, it's actually required in the law that they continue to publish these measures in the hospital-acquired conditions and in, the, uh, and in several of the other programs. So they will continue to publish this information. Okay. And Nancy, why would CMS propose to deduplicate these measures and why not just let them stay as they are? Well, there are two important reasons that CMS has proposed to this deduplication process. The first is that some of these measures were in multiple programs, but they were, they were imposed in the program in slightly different ways. So the measure might cover a slightly different period of time for, for one program like the HACC program, the Hospital Acquired Conditions program, it might cover an 18-month period. And in the value-based purchasing program, it might cover a 24-month period. When you do that, you get different answers as to what the performance is for a hospital. And that was creating a lot of confusion, not only in among the hospital personnel, but also uh, it, among people who are simply looking for accurate data on hospital performance. And the second reason they're removing, proposing to remove these or deduplicate these measures from some programs is that there's actually a significant burden to the collection of the data, to the processing of it, just the administrative aspects of this. We did a study of using data from our member hospitals that suggested the administrative requirements of complying with regulations from CMS alone added up to about $1,200 per inpatient stay. That's, that has nothing to do with the actual care delivered. That's just administrative details around collecting the billing information, collecting measures like this, um, and uh, doing some other administrative tasks. That's a pretty hefty price tag to impose on on uh, our patients. So we've been urging them to make sure that they're keenly aware of what that burden is and to the extent possible, reduce that burden without taking value away from the program. And we see this proposal from CMS as a response to that need to really help hospitals be attentive to the costs of care by eliminating some of the unnecessary costs and providing still the the great value that comes from having these measures. 
Okay. And Nancy, thank you so much for explaining that. And right now, um, we are going to already pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing the CMS 2019 inpatient prospective payment system proposed rule with Nancy Foster. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Join us on November 8th and 9th at the 6th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo taking place at the Embassy Suites by Hilton Philadelphia Airport Hotel. For conference information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call the main office at 919-201-1512. We can't wait to see you at this year's conference. Call 919-201-1512 or visit cdifffoundation.org and we'll see you in November. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce our guest, Nancy Foster, Vice President for Equality and Patient Safety Policy at the American Hospital Association. um, Nancy joins us today to discuss the CMS 2019 Inpatient Prospective Payment System, IPPS, proposed rule from the CMS. And welcome back to the program, Nancy. Thank you, Nancy. 
Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for being here. And Nancy, before we go any further, can you give a brief um, definition of what an IQR is? Absolutely, Nancy. IQR stands for Inpatient Quality Reporting, and it's it refers to the Inpatient Quality Reporting Program. When when hospitals came together with CMS and a variety of other organizations in 2003, it was to create a voluntary public reporting program uh, that would provide reliable information on quality to the public. Um, CMS liked the work that we had done so much and, in fact, um, really thought it would be a foundation for much of their uh, work going forward on quality that it essentially adopted that and got that program uh, and got Congress to enact a law that required hospitals to report on the same data that we were and gave CMS uh, the authority to expand the amount of data that we were being asked to report on. That became known as the Inpatient Quality Reporting Program. And there was initially um, a a, uh, financial incentive that uh, was used to ensure that hospitals would continue to report as CMS ramped up the number of measures that we're being asked to report on and sometimes chose measures that would be uh, somewhat burdensome to collect. in fact, that penalty has gone down and uh, to almost nothing, and it has been replaced by the value-based purchasing programs, the value programs that I referred to earlier in the program. Um, so it, we still hold on to having this inpatient quality reporting program as a as a minor requirement, but really the the meat of what goes on now is around the value programs that we talked about earlier. Okay, one of the four um, programs that incentive programs. Okay, and um, Nancy, what happens if a hospital does not report the data to CMS or does not report it correctly? So, let me assure your listeners that virtually all hospitals report the data that is required of them right now. and it's important to them to do that because it is really, as I said earlier, foundational to their own quality improvement activities. So that they will continue to report because it's a value to them. Um, but the there is um, there are some hospitals, a very small number of hospitals, um, that don't report because they are too small or. Um, because they are largely owned by a health plan that um, that would report data differently um, as all health plans report data. So rather than have duplicative uh, reporting, they may they may choose not to report here. But 99% of the general acute care hospitals report this data, and if they choose not to, then they are subject to penalties for not. Not reporting, and they cannot gain in the incentive programs that offer uh, an upside incentive they, that offer a reward for doing well. So they are they are in that sense penalized for not reporting. Okay, and if their data is not uh, reported correctly, are they also penalized? If their data is not reported correctly, CMS 
uh, spot checks all of the data, and if their data are not correct and they they fail on uh, uh, more than uh, 20% of the measures, then in fact, uh, CMS boots their data out. It does not publicly report it because it would be, be inaccurate, and it penalizes the hospital for failure to get their data in correctly. Okay. Nancy, can the hospital refuse to allow the data to appear on the hospital compare? Well, technically speaking, Nancy, they can refuse to allow that, but if they do, then they are subject to the penalties that exist for not reporting, and they are subject to um, not being able to earn those incentives, the positive upside rewards. So there's every incentive to continue to report. I would also say uh, at this point in, in all of our public transparency efforts, hospital boards pay a lot of attention. That's the boards of trustees pay a lot of attention to this information. And if their own hospital were not up on hospital compare, they'd want to know why it would be a subject of accountability to the hospital board uh, that the staff would feel dramatically if they didn't have their data up. Okay, so that's not going to change. That will not change. Okay, well, that's good to know. And are these measures really making a difference in patient outcomes? Um, Like, do the hospitals really pay attention to the results? Well, as I've said, uh, hospital boards are tracking these data. The hospital leadership are tracking these data. Most hospitals have um, essentially an internal report card in which they are tracking and trending their data and using it. And And part of the reason I know that for sure is not only do we hear anecdotally from our members all of the time about how well they're doing or where they've slipped up and they come to us asking for ideas about how to further improve their care. But we also have some work that we're doing with the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, which reported just recently that in the period between 2014 and 2016, 350,000 patients have have been um, prevented from being harmed by a a variety of things, either getting an infection or experiencing another kind of medical error. And 8,000 lives were saved in that period. That represents some significant outcomes for patients. We are also working with the Centers for Disease Control uh, on a grant to look at how to improve hospital-acquired infections, including C. diff. We've got 460-plus hospitals involved in that effort. They're really trying to model new and even more effective ways to uh, improve the outcomes for patients so that they don't get infections. And I wish I could tell you the results of that work right now, but the initial data are in. It's currently being analyzed. We hope to have results to share with you soon, but it's such an important partnership for us to have at the American Hospital Association with the Centers for Disease Control to really improve and extend our knowledge about how to prevent infections. Okay. Thank you so much, Nancy, for sharing that. And Nancy, what are the next steps with the rule? The next steps for this rule are are as follows. The formal comment period ended on June 25th. That's the period where CMS um, is actively soliciting comments. Comments are being reviewed and 
Um, the suggestions that people offer up in their comments will be considered um, to determine whether CMS wants to make modifications to its proposal. We expect to see the final rule out around August the 1st. Somewhere in those initial days of August is when CMS is uh, obliged to get it out so that um, the, all of the mechanisms can be in place to ensure that payments continue um, and Medicare patients can be admitted to the hospitals after October 1st. So that's, that's really almost a hard deadline for CMS to get the information out at that point. Going forward after this rule, because we know that every year going forward, CMS will have a rule, a proposed rule, and that they will finalize. There may be changes in, in measures in those proposed rules. So um, there is actually a process by which you and others interested in this can know what measures CMS is considering adding to programs. It is through something called the National Quality Forum. Every year in December, they convene a group called the Measure Applications Partnership, or MAP, and that organization, by statute, um, is, is one which brings together many different stakeholders to look at the measures CMS intends to add to its various quality programs for hospitals and physicians and, and nursing homes and all sorts of other kinds of, of um, providers. So that's, that's where you can get a little early uh, information on what CMS is thinking about the measures for the future. Okay, and Nancy, would that be, um, that's uh, an, an event that the advocates can attend? Yes, it is open to the public, and you can also dial in and listen in if you prefer not to travel. Okay, and what should advocates be doing right now to make sure that their views are, are heard? It's really important for folks to speak up, um, it, both to CMS and to the National Quality Forum, which is another organization, as I've just mentioned, that is deeply involved in the selection of which measures are ripe for public reporting. So I would urge you to think about um, looking at both of the websites for CMS and for the National Quality Forum and for sharing your thoughts with them. If you're of a mind volunteering to be part of their working groups, um, and, and thinking about how you can engage in that way. Or you can write letters during open comment periods as well. Okay, thank you, Nancy. Nancy, before we um, go to commercial break, what else can you explain about the deduplicate measures with the CMS? In other CMS, words, is it, it is, go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Nancy, please. No, I was just going to say, is it actually taking place in one of the four incentive programs? We understand that there's 5,000 pages to this uh, proposed rule. We're just trying to, um, you know, have a better understanding of the deduplicate of these measures. Sure. So when CMS says it is deduplicating measures, they mean the measure is currently used in more than one of its incentive programs. And um, it will be, it, it simply means that they are taking the measure out of the, the, they're leaving it in one program and taking it out of the other programs. 
So in the case of the infection measures, they have decided to leave it in the hospital acquired conditions program and take it out, take the measures out of value-based purchasing or out of the inpatient quality reporting or IQR program. Um, that streamlines the measures and reduces the burden and as I said before, reduces confusion. So that's what they're, they're proposing to do. And quite frankly, the hospital acquired conditions program is one of the most important programs uh, to hospitals because of its because of its focus on patient safety. Okay, well, Nancy, we are so you know thankful that you were here today with us on C diff spores and more. Uh, we're truly grateful for your dedication in infection prevention, quality, and in, in patient safety, and for putting patients first with their safety first. Uh, we appreciate you being here with us today. Uh, We are going to break for commercial break already, and when we return, we will be discussing government proposals to decrease monitoring of hospital-acquired infections with our guest, Dr. Edmund Hooker, MD, Doctor in Public Health. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. To help support the C. diff Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Join us on November 8th and 9th at the 6th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo taking place at the Embassy Suites by Hilton Philadelphia Airport Hotel. For conference information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call the main office at 919-201-1512. We can't wait to see you at this year's conference. Call 919-201-1512 or visit cdifffoundation.org, and we'll see you in November. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety, as well as learn about upcoming events, teleconferences, and support sessions. To register for a session, call the CDF Foundation at 1-844-4CDF. 
1-844-367-2343 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products, EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes, trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and we thank you for joining us today. It's our pleasure to introduce our guest, Edmund A. Hooker, MD and doctor in public health, joining us to discuss government proposals to decrease monitoring of hospital-acquired infections. Welcome to the program, Dr. Hooker. Glad to be with you again, Nancy. We're so glad you're here with us, too, Dr. Hooker. And Doctor, can you explain to our listeners about the hospital inpatient quality reporting program? Yes. So a hospital-acquired condition program, you mean the HAC? Exactly. Okay. So HAC is a program that penalizes the bottom 25% or the worst 25% of hospitals when they have the highest rates of hospital-acquired infections. So it is a penalty program with no incentive, no positive to it. It just says you're in the bottom 25%. We are going to take money away from you to the tune of of 1% of Medicare dollars, which could be millions of dollars for a single hospital of penalty. And the ones that they look after are... um, Central line infections, urinary tract infections, all of these social, uh, surgical site infections, um, Clostridium difficile infections, very near and dear to your heart and mine. Um, all of those are monitored, and if you have high rates of them and you're in the worst 25% of hospitals, you lose a lot of money. Terrible. So sorry to hear that. And Doctor, how do consumers currently assess information on the rates of hospital-acquired infections in different hospitals? Well, so we're very lucky to have the Hospital Compare uh, website that uh, the consumer can access and see the data uh, from uh, hospitals in their area and all across the United States. And it's uh, quite good. And, And currently, it's the data is mandatory to be reported by hospitals because of the inpatient quality reporting system. Hospitals have to report that data or they lose 2% of their Medicare dollars, which can be, again, up to tens of millions of dollars if they're a huge hospital, but millions of dollars even in smaller hospitals. So if they don't participate in that program, they automatically lose 2%. So there's incentive for hospitals to participate in the program and give their data to the government. If they don't participate, as your previous uh, speaker mentioned, they lose that 2%. 
it just never, they don't get a chance to get it back. If they do report and they're a high quality hospital, they can get more than the 2% back. They take money from the low performers and give it to the high performers. So a hospital that has lots of C. diff infections and is a poor performer will actually not get back their 2%. They'll lose that 2% and never get a chance to get it back. The hospital that has zero C. diff infections would maybe get up to 4% of their money. So they gave in 2%, they got 4%. So it could literally be a multi-million dollar benefit to a hospital that has done a good job of controlling infections. Okay. Um, And Dr. Hooker, what types of inpatient infections are being tracked again? So it's the, what we call caudies and class Bs, which are the urinary tract infections caused by uh, having a catheter in, a Foley catheter, or central line infections. Uh, They also look at surgical site infections for colon surgery and abdominal hysterectomy, as well as everybody's heard of MRSA or methicillin-resistant staph aureus, blood infections, because MRSA is a very common infection, and Clostridium difficile are the six that they currently require the hospitals to report. Okay. Thanks, Dr. Hooker. And how does the proposed change on reporting of HAIs affect patients and hospitals? So your previous speaker had mentioned that they want to cause this deduplication, and that's really not the right term. What is happening here is they are taking their two programs, the Hospital Acquired Condition Program, which will still exist, and the Inpatient Quality Program, which feeds into the Value-Based Purchasing Program, which is what they're trying to remove. The program, uh, what happens now is the hospitals have to report if they do a good job controlling infections, protecting patients, they can get a lot of money from the government for doing that. So every hospital, if, no matter what you make, they take 2% of that money and it goes into a big pot. If you perform well and protect patients and prevent infections, you get all your 2% back and you get more. If you're a poor performer and are not protecting patients and are giving people hospital-acquired infections, you can lose all of the 2%. That is the incentive currently for hospitals to control their infection rates. Under the proposed regulations, that's gone. So the incentive, the cost, a real huge cost that was driving hospitals to want to decrease infections is now going to be gone. And more importantly, it gets worse by doing, getting rid of that program. Nobody's going to participate in the hospital acquired in uh, condition program. Although your previous speaker said, Oh, they all will still. I don't know why they would because it's only a negative. If you're in the bottom 25%, you lose money. You're in the top, you get nothing. So unfortunately, whether that was the intention of CMS or the American Hospital Association, that's going to be the fact, okay? Um, Mm -hmm. The American Hospital Association and CMS, I think, really want to have patients' best interest at heart. However, I'm afraid that they have not realized what this is going to do. You're taking away the incentive to protect patients by taking this program away where you incentivized hospitals to decrease their infections. Understood. Okay. And Dr. Hook, why should patients and patient advocates advocate against this change? I think we know a few of the reasons. Go ahead. 
<laughs> no, I said there's a few reasons, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I think that we need to advocate against it because it's going to stop hospitals being incentivized to decrease infections, plain and simple. The previous caller was talking about how, oh, the, currently there are penalties and upside, and she acted like that's what's going to exist in the future. No, that's what goes away. There is really no penalty, and there's definitely no upside for a hospital to say, hey, we really need to decrease our infection rates. And if indeed she says, oh, every hospital will continue to report, then why change the regulation? There's no decrease in cost to the hospital now, because if everyone is still collecting all that data, they still had to collect it all, to send it to CMS takes two minutes, okay? They've already collected the data, so I don't want to see hospitals stop collecting that data, and she says they won't then why even worry about this? This is all about that incentive penalty program that they are gutting. Hospitals, I'm sure, don't like it. They literally have millions of dollars on the line. When you have millions of dollars on the line, you're more likely to make sure you decrease your infection rates. Exactly, Dr. Hooker. And doctor, why are hospitals having such difficulty with controlling HAIs? It's really a problem that we have created by decreasing reimbursements to hospitals. And so now we've lost a lot of hospitals. Every hospital is running at capacity. Uh, the hospital I work in, we're holding patients in the ER as are all hospitals. They're holding patients in the operating room. So there's this huge pressure on really high quality hospitals to turn beds over, get rooms ready. Because I got a patient waiting for that room. Unfortunately, that has yielded people turning beds too quickly. It really probably takes one to two hours to clean a room adequately. You cannot just go in there with, I like to jokingly say, a lick and a promise. You can't just take one wipe and go wipe things down and expect that you actually cleaned a hospital room. You need time to pre-clean, clean, rinse, disinfect, rinse again. You, you absolutely have to do all of those processes. Well, that takes hours. I mean, that's not something you can do quickly. And so we've been asking these wonderful EVS workers and environmental services workers who are fantastic people and really care. We are asking them to do an impossible thing. We're asking them to turn a room over in 20, 30 minutes. Not possible. And this, uh, so we really have got to say to hospitals, you have got to take that hour to two because I don't want to go lay in a room on a bed that's dirty. Don't, that's exactly right, Dr. Hooker. And we thank you for providing the in-depth information to our global listeners right now. Uh, we're going to pause for a commercial break. And when we return, we will be reviewing the key points discussed with our guest, Dr. Edmund A. Hooker. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll free 1 844 4 CDF. That's 1 844 367 2343. 
Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Join us on November 8th and 9th at the 6th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo taking place at the Embassy Suites by Hilton Philadelphia Airport Hotel. For conference information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call the main office at 919-201-1512. We can't wait to see you at this year's conference. Call 919-201-1512 or visit cdifffoundation.org and we'll see you in November. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C-difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C-diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff spores and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and we thank our listeners joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce our guest, Dr. Edmund A. Hooker, MD and Doctor of Public Health, here to discuss government proposals to decrease monitoring of hospital-acquired infections. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Hooker. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. And, Doctor, many hospitals are starting to use UV light disinfecting. Will that help? It may help, but you got to understand that there can't be just one solution, okay? If you say, oh, I'm just going to run the UV light in the room and that's going to get rid of all my infections, it won't. There was a study last year that unfortunately showed that, a huge study by Dr. Anderson. But the issue is we need to do what I was saying earlier. We need an hour to two hours to clean that room. Welcome to put the UV light in there but it can only be if it's there as part of a wider solution where we use quaternary ammonia or bleach and we clean everything first and then we disinfect and then we can bring the UV light. And so you start having additive effects. The problem is, is that UV light alone or bleach alone or quaternary ammonia compounds 
based on many, many studies, only decrease the bacteria about 75 to 90%. Well, if you've got millions of bacteria in a room, which you do on a bed, if you had somebody that stooled a C. diff stool on a bed, you literally have millions of C. diff spores. If you only use one part of a solution and decrease that by 90%, you left 100,000 C. diff spores on the bed. Can't do that. So you can use the UV light, that's fine, but don't use it as a single part of the solution. You can use hydrogen peroxide. There's just a lot of ways to do this, but there none of them work if you're using that as a single solution. You've got to use everything as part of a continuum, and I can't overemphasize the importance of time. You've got to have the time to do it. You've got to have, I mean, if you're cleaning a room correctly, you're going through 20 rags, not one or two rags, and you've got to keep doing all this, and it's just really important that our EBS workers be given the time to do the job that they want to do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Everything takes time, especially cleaning the room correctly and efficiently. Thank you, doctor. And what are the options for hospitals that want to decrease their HAIs, including C. difficile? Uh, it's to change the way that hospitals clean. Every hospital right now that I'm aware of, I've been in a lot of hospitals, I'm aware of a lot of hospitals, everybody's turning these room over, rooms over in 30 minutes. They're not following the, uh, so the bed is the biggest piece of the room, okay? You lay on that most of the day, right? And so that bed is being cleaned by a lot of hospitals in a couple of minutes. That's just not possible. You're not cleaning it. The manufacturers of the hospital beds in the last year have come out with instructions for use that they say you should follow. And those instructions involve pre-cleaning, moving all the you know, obvious soil, then rinsing, cleaning, now doing a full cleaning, soap and water or something, then rinsing again, and then disinfecting, and then rinsing again. Now, that's a lot of steps. That's not going to occur in three minutes. It'll take probably 30 minutes to 40 minutes just to clean the bed. Now you've got to clean the toilet. You've got to clean the handrails. You've got to clean all the devices in the room. Everything needs to be cleaned. And so hospitals need to step back and just say, we realize that we cannot continue to clean rooms the way we're cleaning them. We have got to make them absolutely as close to sterile as we can before that next patient comes in. There is article after article published year after year showing that if the previous patient had C. diff, you have about two and a half, three times the risk of getting C. diff. That's just not right. That should go to zero. There should be no increased risk because we Mm -hmm. can clean the room to almost sterile. We'll never get it sterile, but the the goal has to be sterile or we'll never get anywhere. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And thank you, Dr. Hooker, for sharing your thoughts on that. And um, in previous uh, shows, Dr. Hooker, you discussed about launderable mattress barriers. Would you mind taking a moment to introduce our global listeners to that again? Yes, I'm the medical director for a company, uh, just to be honest and forthright, uh, that makes a, a mattress cover that can be laundered. So this cover covers the bed and the bed deck. So when it 
when the patient leaves, all the stool, all the dirty leaves the room with that cover and it gets washed in hot water, chlorine, heat, and then it's dried in heat. And basically, we can get a log 7, which means 99.99999% of anything on that mattress is gone. Where, as I already told you, the current processes are only getting about 70 to 90% off of there. So you can see now, I, if I had a million bacteria on there, I only have one left. That's going to be pretty hard to cause an infection. So this laundry roll mattress cover, it, hospitals can buy it. It can go on any bed that's out there. You put it on between patients. After the patient leaves, you take it off, wash it, and you put a new clean one on and you end up with a completely uh, clean, almost sterile, I never like to use the word sterile, but almost sterile surface for that patient to lie on, which we can stop transmitting infections if we can get that bed clean. Exactly. And Dr. Hooker, is this an expensive option? No, actually it's not. Uh, You obviously have to purchase the cover or lease the cover, and then it has to be laundered uh, between uses but you're talking less than 10 bucks per patient, and uh, we spend a lot more money on a lot worse things uh, each patient, uh, you know, that's spent on these patients, and that's a small amount. When you look at the cost of one C. diff infection, it's between thirty and $40,000. You've saved it already. We've done returns on investments. You can save, you go from needing you know, 30 minutes to clean the bed to needing three or four minutes because you just changed the mattress cover. You don't have as many infections, so you're saving then. And most importantly, Nancy, and you understand this, this is about people's lives. We are saving lives. Can you put a price on a life? I can't, okay? And Mm -hmm. if you save one or two patients with this cover a year, and it's going to be many more than that, that's worth millions, and you're going to spend a teeny percentage of that to save that person's life. Exactly. It really is, should be something implemented in every hospital. And I know that's a, a really re- reasonable goal, too. And Dr. Dr. Hooker, before we close the program today, do you have any closing comments that you'd like to share with our global listeners at this time? I just think that the CMS and American Hospital Association are misguided in what they think the outcome will be of this regulation change. Um, I think that they probably do want the best for patients, but the the effect of this is going to be to take hospital-acquired infections off the boardroom table. It's not going to be important because it's not going to cost hospitals. We need this program in there. There needs to be an incentive penalty program that encourages hospitals to drive infections down and save patients' lives. Exactly. Well, thank you, Dr. Hooker, and we look forward to having you back. Uh, We invite our listeners to join us again September 11th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time to revisit this topic uh, of importance. And Dr. Hooker, we thank you for joining us today and your dedication in infection prevention and for putting patients and the safety first. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks again for joining us. And at this time, the members of the C. diff Foundation wish to acknowledge all of the organizations around the globe dedicated to improving health and the professionals researching and developing new products, addressing C. difficile infection prevention, treatments, 
uh, protecting the microbiome, and addressing environmental safety worldwide. To learn more about C. diff infection, recurrent C. diff infection, clinical trials in progress, please visit the C. diff foundation website, cdifffoundation.org, and click the tab, clinical trials in progress. Please help them to help you to help others. We thank Synthetic Biologics for being a diamond sponsor of the 6th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo taking place November 8th and 9th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the Embassy Suites Philadelphia Airport Hotel. We are grateful for all the corporate sponsors and exhibitors partnering with the C. diff Foundation and whose services and products are in alignment with our global mission. Thank you, all of us. Thank you from all of us at the C. diff Foundation. We send out our Get Well wishes to all patients being treated and recovering from a C. diff infection and the many wellness-draining illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm Nancy Corrala, your host, and we thank you for being with us today. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together.